Lord, we thank you for your great faithfulness. Lord, we face many challenges in life, many ups and downs. Sometimes our lives can feel like a roller coaster and things can hit us that we don't know where they came from and we never would have expected them. But we still deal with those challenging realities that come our way, Lord. But we thank you that your faithfulness is great, that you will never leave us and never forsake us. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, as we examine our own lives in light of the promises of faithfulness that you make, Lord, I pray that you will give us greater faith in you. God, I pray that through this time we have together this morning, that you will give us each something that we can cling to and that we can apply to our lives so that when we face those challenging plan B types of situations, that we will remember that we should cling to you and that we will be growing through those situations as you desire us to grow. So we ask for your guidance right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are continuing our series called Plan B. Uh, Plan B is this idea that we have these situations in our lives that we certainly would not plan into our lives if we could plan out our ideal roadmap for life. These are oftentimes challenging circumstances, sometimes great heartaches, sometimes just things that are very uncomfortable and undesirable. That, that again, we would not plan into our ideal uh, map of life if we could have our way. But we all know that we can't always have our way. And those plan B situations do come up. So throughout the series, we're talking about how do we respond to those situations? How do we persevere even when we're in the midst of very challenging circumstances? I want to ask you a hypothetical question this morning. Imagine that you have a newborn child. Uh, If you aren't married, if you don't have children yet, uh, just imagine hypothetically. Imagine you have a newborn child who you just brought home uh, from the hospital after being born. You're given a very unique opportunity where you're handed a script of that child's life. It's a fairly detailed script that has bullet points of what's going to happen throughout that child's life from birth to death. Even more unique in this opportunity, you're not only given a script, but you're given an eraser. Where you have five minutes where you can erase anything from from your newborn child's life that you would like. What would you erase? Imagine, for instance, that you have a daughter. You read in your daughter's script that when she's in grade school that she's going to have a learning disability that prevents her from being able to read at a normal level. Other students can usually read a little bit easier. She's going to struggle through that for a number of years. Imagine that you see that in high school that she's going to have a great circle of friends, but then tragically one of them is going to die of cancer. She gets into the college of her dreams, majoring in something she's always dreamt Uh, of majoring in, but then she gets in a horrible car accident and her leg has to be amputated below the knee. She goes into a very difficult depression for several years after that, eventually comes out of it, but it's a hard time in her life. After that, she gets her dream job. It's something that's great that she has dreamt about for a long time, but then during an economic downturn, she loses that job. She gets rehired somewhere else, but it's not quite the same. She gets married And they have a pretty good marriage, but they also have some hard times, including uh, a handful of miscarriages that that just eat them away from the inside. Imagine that you're looking at the script of life. It's going pretty well, but there are a lot of challenges and heartaches in the midst of it as well. If you had the opportunity for five minutes, what would you erase from the script of your daughter's life? I think it would be very tempting to want to, want to erace those times where she would be, face suffering and challenges and heartache. 
take away the things that would leave her, um, that, would, that would rearrange the rest of her life, that would affect uh, her life in what would seem to be a negative way. It would be very tempting to want to do that. But would you? I think when we look at our lives, many times when we look at who we are today, we look at how God is shaping us and how he's using us in other people's lives, oftentimes it's a direct or an indirect result of the challenges and the suffering that we face in our lives. So it's a very difficult decision of what would we erase? Because if we erase things, we're changing the course of how God may may want our child's life to go. It's a very challenging question. Now, it's a hypothetical question because we don't have that option. I mean, we can, if you're a parent, you can do everything you can to be a helicopter parent. Try to shield your child from everything possible that may harm them. But in the end, they're still going to face challenges. And we know that we face challenges too. So we do face those plan B situations. The question is, how do we respond when we do face those plan B types of situations that don't go the way we want them to? That's the topic that we're looking at in the series. That's the topic that we're going to look at this morning. Looking at the question of, can these plan B situations that we face sometimes actually be a good thing? That potential for it being a good thing would be what would make us hesitate to erase those things from the script of a person's life. Because there are many times that God does work in the midst of plan B situations. And that's what we are looking at this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42. If you didn't bring a Bible but would like to follow along, you can grab one from the pew or the chair in front of you. In this series called Plan B, we are looking at the life of Joseph. This Joseph is not the Joseph who was the father of Jesus. Um, This Joseph instead lived many, many years before the time of Jesus. This Joseph is in the very first book of the Old Testament, Genesis. Uh, He was, you may have heard of Israel before, Israel or Jacob Um, You have the nation of Israel. Israel started with one person who had 12 sons. Joseph is one of Israel's or Jacob's 12 sons. And throughout the series, we're following the life of Joseph. It is a roller coaster of life. High highs, low lows, ups and downs, betrayal. We're going to be talking more about that this morning. He has a lot of hardships in his life. He really, his whole life could be characterized as a bit of a plan B type of situation. But we see him persevering through it. And this morning we're going to see how God works in amazing ways, even through these plan B situations. But before we get to Joseph's life this morning, I want to point out a a bigger scale principle that is applicable in really everything we face in life and the hardships. And is also found throughout scripture. And it's this. That plan B situations offer us an opportunity to grow. Plan B situations offer an opportunity for us to grow. And this, this is true regardless of the type of plan B situation, whether it's something that we got ourselves into because of a bad decision, whether it's something that someone else did to us, something that is a disease or sickness. Every plan B situation we face is an opportunity to grow. The question is, will we grow? Romans chapter 5, you don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. Um, But Romans 5 is one of the passages of Scripture that talks about how through our sufferings and hardships, God can bring about growth. There the Apostle Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. And this hope that he's talking about, if you go along further in the passage, he's talking about the hope that is found through faith 
in Jesus Christ. A rock-solid foundation that we can build our lives on. But it seems so counterintuitive, so strange when he starts by talking about how we rejoice in suffering. I mean, I think about the things that cause me joy. It's usually things that are not associated with suffering. I mean, things that, that cause me joy are things like a Culver's Concrete uh, with chocolate custard and peanut butter cups and butterfingers. And that's something that, that I really enjoy a lot. My son brings me joy. He's a little over two years old. A couple days ago, he was able to count to six on his own. I mean, he shocked, shocked my wife and I when he did that. He hadn't counted past three ever before, and suddenly he counts to six. That brings me joy. I get joy when I look into my wife's eyes and, and see her smile. I get joy when I have a great conversation with a friend. I, I, I get joy when I come home in the summer from a long bike ride. Those are things that bring me joy. I don't really oftentimes put suffering and hardships in that same type of category of bringing me joy. I doubt you do either. But Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings. And the reason why, because we, the reason why we rejoice in sufferings is because we know that suffering produces perseverance. When we face hardships and plan B situations and suffering, it's an opportunity to push through it, to persevere. And that perseverance, Paul says, builds character. Character that couldn't be in us in any other way but that suffering that we're facing. As we develop that character, we grow in our hope in Christ. Sometimes suffering whittles away the, the things we're hoping in that really can't deliver a lasting hope. Sometimes we have our hope in things like um, family or in, in a good job or in financial security or, or some, something else. Sometimes suffering shows us that our ultimate hope can't be in those things, but our ultimate hope needs to be in Christ. But still, suffering can be hard. But from this perspective that Paul's sharing in Romans chapter 5, these sufferings that we're facing that we may be tempted to want to erase out of the script of our lives or out of the script of someone else's life, God uses those in profound ways to shape us in a way that, that we couldn't be shaped in, in, through normal, easy circumstances. As I was preparing this message this week, I was thinking about one of the plan B type of situations that's been in my life really since I was at the, time, the time I was born. And that is my eyes. You may not know it, but I can't see super well. I was, when I was born, my eyes weren't very strong. And uh, at age three, my parents found out I can't see, Brandon can't see well at all. And um, so they took me to an eye doctor, and the eye doctor said, he's legally blind. Um, I couldn't see. I mean, the doctor told my mom, this was devastating for mom, my mom at the time. She would have definitely erased that from the script of her son's life. The doctor told my mom that your son will never be able to see normally. And so I started wearing these Coke bottle thick glasses, like the classic glasses that uh, no one wants to wear. But I wore those for a long time. In high school, I got contacts. I mean, I could actually see pretty well, see much better than the doctors thought I could, even though without glasses, my vision was somewhere in the range of at least 2,800. You know, 2020 is pretty good vision. 2,800 meant that what a normal person could see at 800 feet, I might not be able to see at 20 feet. Eyes weren't very good. I wore contacts. I mean, things seemed to be going all right until I got to college. My eyes started rejecting my contacts. And I figured out I had to do something. And I fought that really hard for a long time. A number of very embarrassing situations. Um, I mean, I had a lot of pride going on there, too. I didn't want to wear my glasses. And when I did, I tried to play football. It didn't go well. It was hard. A lot, a lot of hard things. A lot of very embarrassing and humbling things. And then... 
since my eyes were rejecting my contacts and I didn't want to wear those glasses, I got LASIK surgery. You'd think LASIK surgery would work well. It, it did work quite well. But the, the, the effect of LASIK surgery depends a lot on how your eyes heal. My eyes did not heal very well. Um, I mean, I could still see a whole lot better than I could before without uh, glasses or contacts. But I had what were called wave fronts on my eyes, which are little tiny imperfections, which make it very challenging to focus well. But because of all those imperfections, it wasn't possible for glasses or contacts to correct it. And at the time, there wasn't a surgery that could correct that either. And so I could get through life, but not great. It, it, it was hard. There were very humbling and embarrassing times, like when a friend would be walking towards me on campus, and they would be 10, 15 feet in front of me, and I still couldn't recognize who they were. I and mean, there were a lot of other very humbling situations, and I was very scared about what was going to happen as I got older. My eyes naturally got weaker with age. I mean, I could barely, barely pass the eye exam on the driver's test at that point when I was 20, 21 years old. What was going to happen when I get to 40 and 50? I mean, was I going to have to have someone start driving me around? It was hard. I mean, thankfully, my eyes, the wave fronts have healed themselves. So now I can wear glasses. Um, I'm actually going to probably start wearing glasses sometime in the next couple of months because I can tell that my eyesight is not as good as it was a year ago. Um, so it's still kind of scary for me, but through this process, I mean, it's been a lifelong process. It will be a lifelong process. It's still uncertain. But I was thinking, if I could change that part of my life, if I could have 20-20 vision throughout my life, would I change that part of the script of my life? There's a big part of me that would say, yes, definitely. I mean, still, there's still uncertainty about the future. But I'm not sure if I would, based on how God's worked in my life as a result of not being able to see super well. Because I look at some of the, the biggest growth areas, or the biggest thing, ways I've grown in my life, a lot of it has pointed back to those very embarrassing or humbling times where I've dealt with eyesight challenges. And I think if we all examine our lives, we're going to find that there are those things in our lives that we don't like, that are hard, that cause us heartache, that cause us uncertainty. But we can grow through those. And that's God's design for when we have these hard things in our life, that we will grow. And we definitely see that in Joseph's life. We're going to transition now to looking back again at Joseph back in the book of Genesis. But Joseph's whole life could be categorized as a bit of a plan B type of life. You see, when Joseph was 17 years old, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He, I mean... He would never want to be sold into slavery, but he was. He had been the apple of his father's eye. Now he's in slavery. And he makes the most of that time in slavery. He sees God's hand at work. He's faithful to God. He's faithful to his master. He's, he's elevated to the second in command in the house where he's staying behind only his master. But then he gets falsely accused of rape. He gets thrown into a dungeon where he languishes for many, many years. He once again finds favor in the eyes of the prison warden there. He's elevated to a good status there. But then he interprets some dreams for some high-ranking officials in Egypt who happen to be in jail with him. He says, remember me when you get out of jail, when you're back in Pharaoh's presence. Remember me. Get me out of here. He's forgotten for two more years after that. And then finally, he's remembered when Pharaoh has some dreams. He's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And then he's elevated to being basically the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command of Egypt behind only Pharaoh. But he had a lot of challenges. This is not 
uh, a path of life that anyone ever would have chosen for him. I mean, think about what it would have been like as he went through there. He, I mean, he'd be doing well, then he'd be knocked down. Doing well, knocked down. Doing well, knocked down. That was the course of his life. Basically a plan B type of life. Going through it, he was probably thinking many times, what in the world is going on here? How did I get here? I don't want to be here. But that's the course of his life. But one of the things that we see through, throughout Joseph's life is that our plan B, plan B from our perspective, is oftentimes God's plan A. And that is definitely true in Joseph's life. Today, as we're looking into Genesis chapter 42 and beyond, we're going to see what could be called the climax of Joseph's life story. You see, for a long time, he's been estranged from his brothers, for 20 years to be exact. They sold him into slavery. Today, in today's passage, we're going to see when he is reunited with his brothers once again. We're going to see how a plan B situation has become a plan A. How God has grown Joseph through the hardships of his life. We're going to look at this passage in several different parts. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see this covers uh, chapters 42 through 49 of Genesis. We're not going to read that whole thing. We're going to read select little parts. I invite you to follow along, follow along in your Bibles in Genesis 41, actually, beginning in verse 55, and then we'll go on to, into chapter 42. Verse 55 of Genesis 41 says that when all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told, told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. So we see everyone's coming to Joseph. Joseph's in charge. Then beginning of chapter 42, we see when Jacob, who happened to be Joseph's father, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there was grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now, these are the same ten brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. Think about the irony of this whole thing, how it's all going to come to a head here soon. These ten brothers, 20 years before, had sold Joseph into slavery, and now they're going to be reunited. Skipping a little bit further down to verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 42, we see now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he said, or he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Now, I'm just going to summarize what happens in these next couple of chapters. They, the brothers, uh, Joseph questions the brothers a lot. He doesn't reveal his identity right away. And then after some time, they get the grain they want, and ten, or nine of the ten go back to their homeland. But Joseph keeps one of the brothers there, asking, them, asking the rest of the brothers to come back and bring his eleventh brother. Benjamin. Benjamin is the only full brother of Joseph in his family. The rest are all half-brothers. He wants them to bring Benjamin down as well. So he keeps one brother there. Eventually, after a number of months, they run out of food. So they have to come back down to to Egypt for more food. And this time they do bring Benjamin. 
There's a lot of drama that takes place there. But the end of the story is that they do end up meeting. I want to skip ahead to, verse, or to chapter 45 of Genesis and see the reunion where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 45, um, there's been a lot of tension to rise up to this point. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it as well. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I mean, think about what that would be like. They think he's dead. For the last 20 years, they've thought that he was dead. They've tried to put him out of their mind as much as they could. And here they are standing in his presence. And I mean, think about all the majesty that's around him, all the power. They recognize that he is the second in command in all, in all of Egypt. Egypt at that time was the most powerful empire in the world. And Joseph is the second in command. They betrayed him, and now they're standing in his presence. I mean, it makes sense that they would be terrified. Picking up again in verse 4, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the, in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. I think it's very interesting here to see Joseph's view of his life. He was definitely living a plan B type of life. But look at his view here. First of all, we see that Joseph harbors no grudges against his brothers. I mean, think about all the time that has passed. 20 years. I think it would be very easy to be replaying over and over and over what it was like to be sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, I mean, think about what it would be like, I mean, to see your brothers' faces for the last times. They were not sad at all to see Joseph going, uh, leaving in that, um, in that wagon train with, as a slave. And they probably either had smirks on their faces, or if nothing else, they were, they were emotionless um, just because of the coldness in their heart towards him. Could have built quite a grudge, quite a bitterness towards them. But he didn't. He didn't hold a grudge against them. He said in verse 5, Don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And the reason why he's not harboring a grudge, the reason why he says don't be angry with yourselves, is because he sees God at work in a situation. It's definitely not the plan A Joseph would have planned for his life, but he sees God at work. He's don't, he says, don't be angry with yourselves because it was to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. It says in verse 8, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. I mean, that's kind of a strange saying because, I mean, really it was them who sold him into slavery. But he's saying, look, I see God's hand behind this whole thing. Yeah, you may have sold me into slavery out of anger and out of hatred, but God had a purpose in what he was doing. God is the one who sent Joseph there. We see throughout Joseph's life that when he faces adversity, he perseveres through it. 
He's faithful to God. He's faithful to the people around him. He doesn't hold a grudge against others. He had plenty of people he could have held grudges against. I mean, his brothers, the, the, the woman who accused him of rape falsely, but he didn't hold a grudge. He instead looked to see, what does God want to do in and through me through this time? Joseph's character grew. I mean, we don't see in here, it doesn't say specifically Joseph grew in character, but we do see evidence of character growth, how Joseph wasn't holding grudges, how he saw God's hand at work. He grew in his faith. And I think that's evidence of growth in character in Joseph. So coming back to our lives, how about us? When we face challenging situations, when we face heartache, when we face these plan B circumstances, how do we respond? Are we growing character or are we just getting bitter? Or are we just getting angry at God? I think it's, how, how should we respond to plan B? What's God's plan for our plan B? I, th- I think this is, in some ways, a very difficult question because each one of us faces different types of plan B situations. So the answer of God's plan may be slightly different for each one of us. It's also hard because we aren't God. We can't see everything that God is doing behind the scenes. I know there is one thing that God wants to do in each one of us as we're facing plan B circumstances. He wants to work in our lives to enable us to grow. Specifically to grow in character and to grow into the people who God's designed us to be so we can fulfill the mission he's calling us to. He wants us to grow through our plan B circumstances. I mean, go back to the idea of the possibility of erasing from the script of our lives or the script of someone else's life everything that is uncomfortable. If we do that... We are missing out on a big part of what God is doing in our lives. I even know some, from stories from my life and from others of you here this morning and others who will be at the second service this morning, that there are some very hard circumstances that, in, that, that we are all facing. I know several, a couple of people who've, who've done jail time somewhat recently. You would think that jail time would be one of the things you want to scratch out, erase, But for the individuals I have in mind, they have grown tremendously closer to God through that time in jail. I think of medical issues or handicaps that people have faced and how they've grown through those. And like I'm, like I was facing in my life, I mean, would you really want to erase those because of the way that God's worked through them? Think of closed doors, lost jobs, infertility, all kinds of things. God works through those things. I don't know if we necessarily automatically want to erase those things because then we'd lose the benefits of what God's done in our lives through them. Now, there certainly are things in our lives that I wouldn't wish on anyone. I think I would erase. I mean, I I don't want to see abuse in people's lives. I mean, I think about when someone young dies, especially if they leave a young family. Those are things I can't imagine not taking out of a person's life. But for the vast majority of our Plan B circumstances, God... I mean, all of them, God wants to work through them. And the vast majority of them, he does. There's one thing I want each of us to take from our time together this morning. It's this. Don't waste your plan B situations. Don't waste your plan B situations. You know, you can waste them. God wants to help us to grow through them, but we can waste that growth opportunity. A few years ago, there's a pastor in Minneapolis named John Piper. Uh, John Piper is a pretty prominent pastor he, he was facing cancer. He wrote a brief article called Don't Waste Your Cancer. It's a great article. I highly recommend it to anyone who is facing cancer in your life or in someone else's life or other medical hardships as well. Um, 
You can just go on the internet and type in Don't Waste Your Cancer and you'll find it. He wrote Don't Waste Your Cancer. And I want to share with you a few of his um, points in this article. He said, You will waste your cancer if you seek comfort from your odds rather than from God. He said that you will waste your cancer if you think that beating cancer means staying alive rather than cherishing Christ. You will waste your cancer if you let it drive you into solitude instead of deepening your relationships with manifest affection. You will waste your cancer if you fail to use it as a means of witness to the truth and glory of Christ. He says that there are many ways that you can waste your cancer. It's kind of a counterintuitive view of it, but it's true that God even wants to use cancer to help us grow. In the same way, he wants to use all of our plan B situations. And I came up with three ways that we can waste plan B situations. First of all, we can waste our plan B situations if we let these situations harden our heart towards God. You know, it's very easy when we're facing things that aren't going the way we want them to. It's very easy to harden our heart towards God, to get angry with Him, to say, God, why aren't you working in this situation? But if we harden our heart towards God, we aren't going to grow the way that He wants us to. It may still be challenging to wonder, why is God letting this happen? But we will waste that plan B situation if we harden our heart towards God. So in those situations where it's hard and we're wondering, why is this happening? We need to keep the lines of communication open with God. It doesn't mean we say, oh, everything's going great. But we need to be real with Him. One of the best ways I've found to do that is to write out prayers to God, especially when times are hard, just to share with Him, you know what, God, this, this stinks. I don't like this right now. This is hard. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm scared. I'm angry. He wants to hear those things. He wants us to be real with Him rather than holding things inside. One of the cool things about the Psalms is they give us permission to share with God whatever's on our hearts. It's one of the reasons why I recommend the Psalms to anyone who's going through hard times. Because the Psalms can give voice to things that we have in our own lives that are hard. So we will waste our plan B situations if we harden our hearts towards God. We'll also waste our plan B situations if we harden our hearts towards others. Whether it's towards others because of ways that they've hurt us, whether it's towards others because we're jealous of what they have, whether it's just towards others because we feel isolated and lonely because we feel like there's no way they can relate to us. As we're going through hard times, we need to have at least a couple of close friends who we can trust to share with them the hardships that we're facing. Be real with them. Be transparent. Next week, we're going to be talking about how we can forgive people who've hurt us deeply. We're going to be looking at the example of Joseph once more because, like we've said, Joseph was hurt. Or he... he he was betrayed and hurt very deeply by a number of different people. He was able to forgive them. We're going to look at his example because that's hard. Finally, you will waste your plan B situation if you wallow in self-pity. This isn't directly in this passage, but we do see it throughout Joseph's life that he didn't wallow in self-pity. Instead, he pressed forward. He was faithful to God. He was faithful to others. But it's easy when we're in challenging circumstances to get disillusioned to get lazy, just kind of go on cruise control and say, man, I don't feel like doing anything here. I don't like this situation. When we wallow in self-pity, we short-circuit what God wants to do in our lives. We are called to persevere in faithfulness, even through the plan B situations. And as we do so, He will be growing us from the inside out, developing us into people we could never be without those hardships. Recently, I came across an interesting story about a young boy, 12 years old now, named Anson Hui. Anson, uh, he was born 
with a pretty serious disease called glycogen storage disease. This means that his body cannot break down or store sugars. What this means is that Anson, this 12-year-old, um, from a very, very young age, had to eat almost constantly through the day. You may think, oh, that would be really nice. They had to have sugars through the day to keep him going. This wasn't things like Snickers bars. This was, he had to drink raw cornstarch throughout the day to keep his life going. And then at night, he had to be hooked up to a tube into his stomach. They would be feeding him on a regular basis to keep his life going. When he was about five, um, he had a severe developmental delay that, that many thought were, it was autism. He wasn't able to speak um, more than just a couple words at a time, even though most children his age were saying paragraphs and talking like crazy. He was bullied by a lot of people around him, and he was wondering, where is God? Why has God let all this happen to me? But then he began to realize that even though there were a lot of disabilities, a lot of limitations they had in life, he definitely was never going to be able to live a normal life. God had wired him in a certain way. He realized that he had a gift with music. That he was able to do things musically and to hear things musically that that vast majority of the world can never do or hear. I want to read a couple of quotes to you from this young Anson. That it gives me a lot of inspiration, a lot of uh, comfort when I think about hardships in my life, plan B situations. He said, this comes from a 12-year-old. He says, I can't decide many things that God has already planned. I mean, he can't change them. But I can choo- still choose to work on my dream because I still have workable hands and a body to do it. I believe every single life is unique and special. Each has its own mission and purpose. And just a, about a year ago, he had um, another bad diagnosis. He has a tumor around his liver. Um, and because of his other um, disease, it's very challenging to operate on that tumor. But he still is keeping the outlook of God's at work in this situation. He said, I know there's always a reason for God to give me a special body and talent. My dream is to be a tool of God. So in the end, I can hand in a beautiful report to my Lord in heaven with honor. And the most important thing is, I will never regret this journey on earth. I mean, I think about how he ends, I'll never regret this journey on earth. And the reason why he's not going to regret it is because he wants to live faithfully to what God has given him and the circumstances he has in his life. He'll never live a quote-unquote uh, normal life. He's living faithfully to what God has given him. He sees how God is working in him and through him. He's not growing on cruise control. He's not going in self-pity. He's not hardening his heart towards God and others. He's open to what God wants to do. He's going to stand before his Lord one day. And if he continues on the same path of faithfulness, he's going to hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. We all face various hardships. We, there are a lot of circumstances we can't plan or we can't control in our lives. But we can plan our reaction. And through keeping an open heart to what God wants to do in and through us, we will be growing. Call us to be faithful. And as we're faithful to him, you'll see him do things that he could never do if we had our plan A the entire time. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are at work. But even as we look at all the various challenges in our lives, we trust, God, that even though they're hard, even though they cause us tears at times and heartache and uncertainty and fear, that you are still at work. And God, I pray, especially for those in our midst this morning who are facing circumstances that seem beyond their ability to bear. God, I pray that you will help each one of them to remember that 
If you are for us, no one can stand against us. Help us know that you work all things for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. Help us know that you will never leave us, never forsake us. Help us know that we have a hope in heaven that nothing can take away. God, help us to persevere faithfully through everything we face in life, that we may see your glory, that we may see what you are doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name.